0: Psalm number 46 in your Bible today. Psalm number 46. And let me tell you the background of this. The background of this is found in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 19. 2 Kings 19. It's an unusual story, a great story, exciting story. The story of a, of a king, an Assyrian king, whose name was Sennacherib And Sennacherib was king over the most powerful nation in all the world at that time. His capital was in Nineveh, the great city that you've heard about in the book of Jonah, of course. Sennacherib was known for his power. He was the most powerful man on earth at that time, arguably. And he was known for his arrogance, and the Assyrians were known for their cruelty. Often when they uh, conquered a country, they would literally skin some of the people and leave them alive. They would skin them. And it was a cruel, cruel uh, mindset that these Assyrians had at that time in ancient history. And so they came down and encircled the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah where King Hezekiah happened to be the king at that time. And here they are with their horses and their battle gear lurking around the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so the commander sends a, a letter in into the city to Hezekiah the king. The letter basically said, give us all your gold, give us all your silver, and surrender to us and become our slaves. And if you do that, I will we'll not harm you. Now, nobody believed that because... They were known for their cruelty. Nobody wanted to be a slave to the Assyrians at that time. And then he mocked the God of Israel with his message. He said, the gods of other nations couldn't deliver them, so why do you think your God can deliver you? All the other nations that I've conquered, and he had conquered many, all the other nations that I've conquered, their gods were weak, and impotent against the great Assyrian forces. Why do you think you're going to be any exception? And so King Hezekiah got the message. The Bible says he rent his clothes. Well, renting the clothes was was an ancient practice of repentance, of of, uh, humility, of humiliation of oneself before God. And so he rent his clothes. He put on sackcloth, another sign of humility, And then he went up to the temple of God, to the house of God. And I like the way the Bible says it there in 2 Kings 18 and 19. He spread the letter from Sennacherib. He spread it out before the Lord. (laughs) It was almost as if the Lord didn't know what was in the letter, and he had to open it up and let the Lord read the letter with him. He He spread the letter out, this list of demands from Sennacherib and the Assyrians, and then after he had read it, he sent some messengers, some of the priests, over to Isaiah the prophet. And you can also read this story in the book of Isaiah. So it's in the Bible in numerous places. And so Isaiah got the letter and responded back to the king to give him some feeling of security. He said, this is a day of trouble, but he said, don't you be afraid. Be not afraid. You'll see those words right there in the middle of chapter 19 in 2 Kings. Well, verse 25 of 2 Kings 19, God heard their prayer, and God began to answer their prayer. And that very night, verse 35, then God sent his angel, and the angel took out the entire Assyrian army. Sennacherib had said, well, the gods of all the other nations couldn't do anything for them. Why do you think your God is going to be able to save you? Well, one angel from Hezekiah's God, the God of the Bible, one angel took out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. The next morning, Hezekiah and his people went outside. All the Assyrian army was dead to a man. Then Sennacherib went back I guess in some form of disgrace to uh, Syria, uh, Syria, and he went back to Nineveh, the capital city, and God's judgment fell upon him. Two of his own sons sneaked up behind him as he was worshiping his god Nisroch, the Bible calls him, and they killed their own father. And so Sennacherib died; his army died. God delivered the nation of Judah in a great, great act of deliverance. Now, there's so many parallels to that story where we are today. Now, their enemy was not a disease. Their enemy was the most powerful nation on all the earth, threatening them with their very lives. Today, we're not threatened by a nation, at least not that we know about right now, but we're threatened by an invisible killer, a disease, the coronavirus. We are threatened with our life, our health, our economy. We're threatened in so many ways. It's a time of great instability in America, isn't it? Now, this is the background of Psalm number 46, a time of trouble, a time of fear, a time of anxiety, and yet a time of great, great deliverance from the God of heaven. I read now Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And then he says, Selah, there is a river The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah, come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, he cutteth the spear in sunder, he burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. You will note there that verse 7 and verse 11 are the same. The Lord repeats himself. He tells us that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then Selah. The word Selah means, now remember that. Stop. Pause. It's like a pause in the music where it goes silent and the conductor beats out the rest. One, two, or one, two, three, four. And there's a pause. He stops. The action stops. Be still and know that I am God. Two or three things I want to point out to you that I hope will be an encouragement to everyone. Number one, the first verse, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Circle that word refuge in your, in your Bible there with your pen or pencil, and write there shelter. God is our shelter and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Then the verse goes on, or the passage goes on to verse two. Therefore will not we fear. There's an old Saying that all of us learn in our elementary class and preaching if we go to Bible college, and it's this God's therefores are therefore a purpose. And so here's a therefore. What is the purpose of this therefore? Because God is our refuge and strength. Because God is our shelter, a very present help in trouble, then we will not fear. The therefore means therefore, in the light of the fact that we have a God who is our shelter. We will not fear. Verse two and two through four goes on now and describes a natural catastrophe of some kind. It could be an earthquake, it might be a volcano. It may just be poetic, symbolic language, because that has nothing to do that we know of, at least, with ribs, the victory over Sennacherib's army, the Assyrians. But it but the but the writer here, the 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 sons of Korah, the priests who penned this and this word of inspiration, they describe a natural catastrophe. And what it really represents is the things that we think cannot be moved, the immovable, the stable things of life and earth. And so it describes here like the earth changing, mountains sliding into the sea, the water and the sea foaming up, as the mountains fall into it, the mountains swelling and shaking. That sounds like maybe a volcano. But mountains and the sea and the earth itself, these are the things that are immovable. They're absolutely bedrock. They don't change. And yet, they're changing. The world is coming apart here in verse 2 and uh, 3 of uh, Psalm number 46. He ends that statement describing the, the terrible time with that little word, Selah. Stop and think about it. Now, when I stop and think about it, of course, I'm going to think about what's happening in my world. I'm going to apply it. And our world has certainly been shaken, has it not? This horrible virus, this disease... I don't ever remember in my life a time approximating this for fear. I remember some times in my life when the world was shaken. And I was talking to somebody last night. I re- I'm old enough <laughs> now to remember the polio scare. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a text last night and was talking about it. 60,000 children in America suffered from polio in one form or another, and 3,000 of them died. And I can remember people, even in our community, where their children were stricken with the polio. That was 1952. I was a little tiny boy at the time. But I remember the fear on my mother's face as she told me about uh, a a friend whose child had had polio. I remember the pictures of children being stuck into iron lungs, an iron lung was a round affair that helped children who, uh, whose uh, breathing apparatus was paralyzed. And some of those children lived in those iron lungs literally for years after that. And then Jonas Salk came along and discovered the polio vaccine, and everybody went and took their little sugar cube and ate it, and there was a cure, and God graciously Resolve that problem for us largely in our society today. But I remember the fear in those days when all across America, far more people than are sick even now in America had the polio. I remember the atmosphere after 9-11. And I could go on with that, but I think you get the point. And now today we have this new plague that has come across our country. And businesses have closed and and hospitals now are overwhelmed. We see the news. Our churches are shut down. The biggest thing I think too, if you're well, is just the isolation. We have to shelter and we have to stay in isolation. We're separated. boy, I don't know what I would give today to be able to see my grandchildren and my children and for us to have a Sunday meal like we sometimes have about once a month where we all get together 16 of us and i can't do that i can't touch them i can't put my arms around them and love them and then there are other pieces of bad news i don't want to you, you know what it is but if you'll notice here in verse number four then the passage just completely shifts interest it shifts from a focus on the troubles and the problems it shifts emphasis and there is a river the streams whereof will make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle now in the bible a river is a a river means a source of blessing in the bible when you see a river it is it, it is always a place of of refreshment a river is a place of of healing Sometimes it talks about healing. We even have the story of a man who had leprosy, and they took him to a river, and they, they dunked him seven times in the water, and he became well. So rivers mean those wonderful things that we long for right now, refreshment and, uh, and blessing and healing. You compare that to verse 3 there where the, the sea is troubled and it's, it's in turmoil. But we see a river a peaceful scene of refreshment and health for God's people now what does that rep- that river represent well in john chapter 7 jesus talked about the holy spirit and he referred to him he said when the holy spirit is come and he has not come yet at that time but jesus said when the holy spirit is come he is going to be like a river rivers in fact he used the plural He's going to be like rivers of water that's going to be flowing out of your belly, your innermost being, that the Holy Spirit is going to be there for you. A few chapters later, what does he call the Holy Spirit? The Comforter. And so if you know the Lord today and the Holy Spirit of God is living within you, you have this Comforter's presence. You have the river, the never-ending stream. That you can go to and say, God, we may be in real trouble across the world today, but the Holy Spirit lives within me. You are right here with me. You are in me. You care about me. I am your child. What comfort, what blessing, what refreshment to our spirits and to our souls that can bring to us. So you notice the focus. Verses 2 and 3 are description a description of everything that could be shaken and moved, everything that's not nailed down is coming loose. And and then suddenly the focus all changes. And we see this peaceful river, and we're reminded of God's presence within us as his children. The focus changes from the circumstances around us in the world. It changes to a focus upon God. And in verse 5, God is in the midst of us, And we will not be moved, and God will help us, and that right early. And so, there's a return to normalcy and stability within our spirits, though the circumstances around us might be very, very difficult. Now, we get to verse 7, and we have that verse, and then it's repeated in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. I want you to look real closely at the word Lord. In our Bibles, they write the words different for the various names of God. Lord here is a capital L with, with smaller capitals, L-O-R-D. Now, they write it like that because that is a specific reference to Jehovah. Whenever the text in the Hebrew said Jehovah, they wrote capital l and then capital letters, but smaller, and that is a reference to Jehovah. And who is Jehovah? The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. So, Jesus, you could say, the Lord of hosts, the leader, the commander of the host. What are the hosts? The hosts are the hosts of heaven. The angels are spoken of as the host of heaven. So The Lord Jesus, the commander of the forces of heaven himself, is with us at this time. Here is a promise of Jesus' personal presence with us, of course, through his Holy Spirit. He promised us before he left at the Great Commission, lo, I am with you. And he said, I'll send the Comforter, and he'll be in you and with you. And here we have it repeated in the Old Testament. Now, the Lord of hosts is a military term. That means he's the commander of the angelic forces. What are angels? Hebrews chapter 1 tells me that angels are spirit beings. They're ministering spirits. They're spirits that the Lord created, and they, their purpose is to minister to his people. Well, we don't emphasize that much in the the modern world, do we? You don't hear a lot of preaching on that, but you just take your verses. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. It tells you that an angel is a ministering spirit. They're sent forth to care for the people of God. And how many angels is there? The Bible says there's an innumerable company of angels beyond our ability to calculate. I think the Bible is teaching there's more angels than there are human beings upon the earth. So we're talking about an angelic host, a force that is almost beyond human ability to comprehend. We know that they're powerful. One angel in one night took out the whole Assyrian army, 185,000 men. So we know that what they are, ministering spirits. We know they have great powers. We know that there's an innumerable number of them, and we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who loves us, is the commander of those forces. Well, stop and think about that. You know, a lot of people today doubt the existence of angels. In fact, a lot of people doubt the existence of God in America it's become somewhat trendy. I suspect some of that might turn now. But you see, uh, the Lord is in command of this force, and yet the scoffer says, "Well, I, I, I don't know if I believe in that or not. I don't know if I believe in angels. I've never seen an angel. I've never heard an angel, I've never smelt an angel. I've never touched an angel. I don't know if I believe in angels or not. That's sort of imaginary stuff. That's kind of like the imaginary big man in the sky, isn't it? Let me tell you, you really believe in a whole lot of things that are invisible that you've never seen or touched or smelled? I'll give you an example because we absolutely depend upon invisible forces and invisible things. For example, do you believe in electricity? Have you ever seen electricity? Now a couple times I've felt it but uh, in, nobody's ever seen electricity. Do you believe in gravity? If you think it doesn't work just uh, get up on the ladder and jump off. It works every time everywhere. But you never nobody has ever seen it. This invisible thing. Do you believe in magnetism? Do you believe in the winds? We don't know where they come from or where they go, Jesus said, but we sure see the power of the winds. Our entire planet is surrounded by gases, oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen, a bunch of other gas. Every one of those are invisible. Not one of them has anybody ever seen with a physical eye, and yet they protect us from the Rays of the sun that would burn our planet up were it not for them, that shield of uh, invisible gases out there. Invisible, and clear, so the sun's rays can shine through it just the right proportion. You tell me you don't believe in God because you've never seen him? I say to you, do not doubt the power of God because you can't see him. There's more evidence for God There's more evidence for his angels than there is for all these physical things that I've just enumerated to you. No, God is real, and God is with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ here through his Spirit. He says it twice in these verses. He says something else in that verse I really like The God of Jacob is our refuge. Of all the men in the Bible, why did he say the God of Jacob? Why did he say the God of Abraham, the God of Paul, the God of the apostles, the God of Daniel? No, he says the God of Jacob. You know what I really like about that is Jacob was such a scoundrel. Jacob was unquestionably a sinner. He, had a, he didn't just have a fallen nature. I mean, Jacob was an edgy character. You know, he even cheated his brother out of his birthright. He did all kinds of things. He was dishonest. Why would God identify himself as the God of Jacob? One reason, because God wants us to know that we don't have to be perfect for him to love us and to be our Lord. Now, that's not a license for anybody to sin, but it is a statement that So many people are trying to live in a way, well, if I'm perfect enough, then I'll please the Lord. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. God is the God who loves sinners. He doesn't love your sin. He wants you to be sanctified and righteous and godly and all that. But you know what? You don't have to be perfect for him to be your Lord. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, the word refuge appeared up there in verse 1. And I had you mark it and write shelter. It's a different word in the original Scripture here in verse 7 and 11. Here it is not shelter. Here it is a fortress. It is a castle. It is made out of granite and marble and bedrock. It is a a bulwark from which soldiers hid behind to shoot and to be defended in a time of war. A great castle. Picture that in your mind. And so, we have the promise of God. He is our refuge, our defense, if you will. Then the psalm turns to what God has done in the past in verse 8 and 9. I won't dwell on it. It just reminds us that God has been working down through the years, and he's made wars to cease. He has also carried out wars. He's done all kinds of things to reach into the affairs of humanity and to act. We're praying right now that he's going to act. We don't know his will. We don't know why this happened. We don't know his purpose in this. We do know he is sovereign. He's still in control. Our God reigns, and in his time, he will will intervene. Lastly, There's a word of instruction. There's a word of instruction here. You go down to verse 10. Notice, now it changes. It's not talking about the Lord in the third person. The Lord himself speaks. This is God speaking to us. And what does he say in verse 10? Be still and know that I am God. And so God himself speaks. And what does he say to us? He says, I want you to stop, and I want you to focus on me. Be still and know I am God. Stop and focus on me. America has been so busy for the last 20 or 30 years. All the technology and all the activities and all the things we're engaged in, many of it serves as a blessing to us. Without this technology, I couldn't be talking to you. On the other hand today, America has been so distracted away from God. There's not many times and places where people are still, where they shut out the distractions, where they shut off the television. They shut off their phone. Oh, my, some people would just absolutely, they would have withdrawal if they had to shut off that phone for an hour. But God said, I want you to shut off the phone and the TV. I want you to remove yourself from uh, conversation with other people. Get off of your Facebook account for a few minutes. Forget about people, forget about the circumstances. Get alone. Be still. Get quiet. Get quiet inside. And I want you to turn your thoughts to me, not to the virus, not to the desolations, not to the economy, not to the, the fears that we, many of us have. I want you to get quiet on the inside. I want you to focus on me. I want you to remember that I created this planet, and it's still in my hand, I want you to remember that I'm I'm omnipotent, that I have all power, even over unseen viruses. I want you to know that I'm not omniscient. I understand what is happening anywhere and everywhere with every person across the world. Get quiet. Haul out your Bible and get serious about studying it and reading it. And read it slow and ponder the words and then pray. Last week, I shared with you how that uh, in the plague in London, people began to say, uh, the Christian people began to say something like this. They said, there's a time to play and there's a time to pray. Now is the time to pray. I would say that to you. Baptist Temple members, those of you who are our guests watching us, if I could speak to the whole nation, I would say to them, there's a time to play, there's a time to pray. But right now is the time to pray, to be still and know that God is God. And then he repeats the last verse again, or he repeats verse 7 again the Lord of hosts, the commander of those angelic forces of power in heaven. He is with us. The God of the scoundrels, the God of the sinners, the God of the imperfect people is our refuge. And he says, Selah, stop again and think about it. Martin Luther in the 1500s had had a very difficult year. He had had to hide in a castle for almost a year. And uh, the Pope had sent an army to try to find him and to kill him because he was, had, had created the Protestant Reformation. He not only had gone through that, but the plague was raging across Germany. Thousands of people were dying in a similar situation to ours today. And then personally, and worst of all, to him, his little girl that he loved was the apple of his eye. She would passed away. It had been a tough year for Martin Luther. But he got still, and he turned his focus upon God, and Martin Luther wrote a mighty fortress from that last verse. A mighty fortress is our God a bulwark, a hiding place, a refuge, never failing. And people have been singing it ever since. And I'll tell you who can sing it is right here on our staff, Chris Edwards, our youth pastor and singer. And Chris is going to come and sing that for you and encourage you and remind you to be still and know that God is still God today. He is still reigning. Listen as Chris sings right now.
1: A mighty fortress is our God A bulwark never failing Our helper he amid the flood Of mortal ills prevailing But still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, the battle would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who this may be, Christ Jesus. It is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name From age to age the same And he must win the battle And though this world with death Should threaten to undo us We will not fear For God hath willed His truth to triumph through us The prince of darkness grim We tremble not for him we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, and one little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no Thanks to them abide. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sided. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life, also. They may kill, but God's truth abideth still, and His kingdom is forever.